Welcome to the West of North London podcast, where we sit down each and every week to answer your big Arsenal questions. I'm Caleb. And I'm Tim. Tim, welcome back. We're on the other other side of, of the transfer window. <laughs> we can all breathe a sigh of relief. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't holding too much breath going through that. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's nice to be over and have definitives then we can actually talk about the team as opposed to what ifs and who's and wow how's yeah it's less hypothetical now we know exactly what we have to work with and and we had some other we've had some other games and things that we'd rather not talk about so this is a great distraction yeah exactly i mean well i mean there was one game in there that i enjoyed watching but (laughs) yes one game that was less enjoyable right well, let's let's get into the drinks we have. Um, I am not that exciting because I I am just drinking something I've had before in the Rogue Colossal Claude. I was actually uh, going to go get some more Rogue beers because I was nearby a couple when I was in Oregon, oh. and I I didn't pull the trigger. I walked in and there was too many people, and so I walked <laughs> back out. Uh, that brewery is actually really cool. Uh, brewery i've been there a couple times and what's really cool is in their tap room they'll have a bunch of beers that you can't have anywhere else but their tap room they're like mm-hmm. experimental uh it's really cool it's right on the water like i, I like that place but yeah i could see if there's too many people not wanting yeah. to go in. i was <laughs> i was less inclined to be there once i saw how many people were around even with masks and everything yeah uh, what about you? What do you have? I'm also in the unexciting camp. I have a Kona Brewing, which you can get pretty much everywhere. They're a mm-hmm. big wave. Uh, I bought it because, and th- and this is actually something that was in the back of my fridge for a while, and I just haven't gotten to it. But uh, I bought it because I actually went to the Kona Brewing Company many many years ago. Mm-hmm. Enjoyed the enjoyed the brewery. It just reminds me of Hawaii. I'm kind of holding on to the last dregs of summer, which are quickly fleeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I buy it more for nostalgia than anything else. It's an all right beer, though. Uh, it has fruity taste to it. It's it's super light. It's definitely a summer beer, which I'm kind of moving off of right now. And yeah. Yeah, I'm ready for some heavy winter beers. Stuff oh, yeah. to warm you up. Yeah, I'm excited at the uh, at the brewery right now. They're starting to st- brew their their winter beers, so you'll you'll hear more of the uh, the darker beers later. Cool. From me. Yeah. So is that how long is that process from when they start their winter batches to when those come out in, on the tap? Uh, on tap, it's going to be a couple weeks, probably. Okay. I mean, because, you know, IPAs you can churn out in a couple of days, but the some of the beers take a little bit while more to age and to to get right. And then plus, once you keg them, you want to, you can wait a little bit just till the, you get through your summer supply. We still have a, a decent amount of the uh, the uh, wit and Kolsch on tap, which we'll want to get through because those won't sell in the summer or in the right. winter. Right. Half price. <laughs> Everything must go. No, I can't say that. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I'm, I, I feel the little bit of, uh, coolness in the air now, even with the sunshine. So I'm like, all right, my internal clock is saying it is, it is fall, fall beer time or winter mm. beer time soon enough. Exactly. I think the next couple of beers I'm going to bring are definitely going to be something in the darker. It's almost Porter time, which is one of my favorite mm. times of the year. Mm-hmm. 
Um, all right. Well, let's get on to Tim's bit. What do you got for this week? Uh, so every year, I or every twice a year at this point, I always tell myself I'm not going to watch the deadline day coverage that they have on uh, Peacock. I don't know if you know, see it. It's a, you can watch for the last five hours of the window the the uh, the the coverage on uh, Sky Sports through Peacock. Mm-hmm. And I tell myself I'm not going to do it. And then every time I end up just watching it and binging it, expect they're seeing the train wreck happen, seeing what happens. Maybe Arsenal will get a su- surprise signing or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and every time I'm just disappointed in the pundits. It's usually people like Harry Redknapp or Jamie Redknapp. It's a... Uh, people that are sensationalizing things. So my question is, who would be your ideal pundit if you're watching the deadline day? Who would you, ideal pundits, maybe a commentary team that would guide you through deadline day? Well, I, I feel like if you're talking about Arsenal, my, my go-to is always going to be righty. I just say like, he's got a, he's got a good uh, compass when it comes to, Arsenal, like he's going to call it as he sees it. He's not going to sugarcoat it too much. I mean, he definitely loves Arsenal and and is going to be a bit of a homer when he wants to be, but he also can be realistic. So I like hearing what Ian Wright has to say most of the time. So I think he would be on on that team for me. Do you watch Ted Lasso? I I have not caught up. I, I let my Apple TV lapse. So I'm just waiting for it to all come out and then I'm going to get it again. Yeah, he, uh, he, I won't spoil it for any, for you or any of the other listeners, but he does make a cameo in this season of, uh, Ted Lasso. So hmm. I do like righty. Uh, yeah, I like righty. I, I think Wenger would actually be really interesting in English on these deadline day. I think he would have, if he were retired enough that he could actually speak his mind and not feel like he was going to get in trouble, I think he'd have some really interesting insights and in how transfers work. Right. Yeah. And he's, he's interacted with a ton of different players, even, even players that have not been on Arsenal. So he knows, he knows a lot. I, I, th- I would imagine he would have a, well, even the snippets that do come out when he's commenting on, on different things, he's always got interesting things to say, even if he's holding back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if he would ever kind of not hold back. I was a, the, I can't remember if the quote, uh, it came out in this last week about Xhaka that he said, like, not he, he told him early on, don't don't tackle. <laughs> like you don't, <laughs> you don't need to leave your feet. I think that would be a very good advice for that person. <laughs> yeah, I feel like maybe Xhaka needs to be reminded that of that again. Uh, I think um, every game he needs to be reminded of that. Yeah, it needs to be like on a board above the you know, on this, on the wall above the, the, um, tunnel and he needs to hit it and make sure that he is paying attention to that. Don't tackle. How Stay you, on your feet. I'm going to give a second Timbit. Not that we have nothing else to say, but how would you stop Jaka from tackling? What'd be a good way? Like, would you put wheels on the back of his shoes? Like those wheelie shoes. So if he tried to go, he'd just slip and fall backwards. I would, I would, um, I would, I would come up with some, some sort of shorts mm-hmm. that are similar to like a, a shock collar for a dog where as soon as his ass hits the ground, it gets a, a, a shock to his balls. <laughs> or like maybe even like level, like even in pinball, you know, like they yeah. have those levels in there that yeah. will make you tilt. So like the second he starts leaning 
back. It just mm-hmm. shots him and he has to stand yep. straight up. You go past that 45 degree angle, <laughs> you're done. Yeah. Okay. I think I think one or two shocks shocks to the testicles would, would keep him on his feet. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever seen that uh there it's a it's on YouTube. It's this Norwegian game where they're playing soccer and then randomly the pundits could just shock players. <laughs> so, this is Nor- in Norway? Wow. In Nor- it was just it was like a comedy TV bit and I I'm sure if you did like Norwegian shocking soccer something like uh-huh. that you'd find it and like there's like great ones of like a guy winding up to take a shot and he just gets shocked right when his foot gets <laughs> back and he just falls straight to the ground. Uh it sounds funny. I'll have to look that up. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah, I think that's what Jacka needs to do is shock therapy here. <laughs> <laughs> um Okay. Well, without further ado, let's let's qu- quickly gloss over the Man City game because I don't think I have a ton of positive things to say. I mean, maybe the biggest silver lining is that uh, we're not going to have to deal with Shaka for the next three games. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, there's not. A, I, I don't think any of us were having a lot of positives going into that game. I don't think any of us were under the delusion that we were going to win that game, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing to say is just like, it's obvious that city is better than us in a class above us. And and that can be painful to, 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 to say and to realize, but it is at this point, very true. And that, that game very much showed it. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't have much to say about it. Yeah. I think my, my main concern with that game is the fact that like they Arsenal came out and looked at least for the first 10 minutes looked like they were up for it and then the other 80 minutes of the game the complete opposite of that whatever the opposite of up for it like <laughs> whatever that not is into it not into it at all but i mean it looked like there was a game plan there was some um there was some pressure happening. They were moving the ball. And then as soon as uh, Man City scored in like the, what, eighth minute or whatever, <laughs> the first 10 minutes or so, um, that that game plan seemed to go right out the window. And I think um, as much as I felt that we weren't going to win that game going into it, I still, and, and I could say this about the Chelsea game too, I, I expected to put up more of a fight and to look a little more competent and a little less of a pushover team. Um, so that I, I think there is definitely things to be concerned about from the first three games. There's no doubt about that. And I don't know that we can just shrug our shoulders and say, okay, everything's going to be better after the international break. I don't think that we're anywhere near that because uh, not having any points, not having any goals and really not having any highlights whatsoever. Like I can't point to anything in these first three games that was highlight, highlight worthy, a lot of close things, but really nothing close to where, we, I, I even felt we were putting yeah. pressure on the other teams. I, and I know we don't want to make this into a, a panic podcast or anything like that. And I want to, uh, I yeah. know we're going to, in the later part of the podcast, kind of talk about more about the positives or things going forward about the team. 
I think the one concerning thing that you kind of highlighted just now was the fact that we have in three games, we haven't scored a single goal and mm-hmm. whether, wh- whatever the results, there should have been some sort of goal. In that. I don't think that's too much to ask in three games, mm-hmm. especially against one with a uh, recently promoted team to have a goal. And that concerns me a little bit. Uh, I don't know how you put that into context with how we played in the cup game in the Carabao cup game. And the fact that obviously these players can score granted against, that was like a B team of a championship level team. So like you can't put too much stock, but it's obviously like they can score. I'm just hoping that they will at a premier league level sooner rather than later. Right. Well, I think coming out of that game, there's been just a lot of negativity around Arsenal. And I think there is some, there was some hope that the end of this transfer window would see a, uh, a splash signing or, you know, kind of some of the things, some of the holes would get filled and, and we would feel better coming out of it. Um, I don't know if I feel that. But I didn't hate this transfer window. So now that things have settled and we have official pens to paper, as you like, yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, what is what are your, what are your feelings now that that the dust has settled on this transfer window? I I like this transfer window in a lot of ways. I I never expect a splashy signing, and I don't. I don't know if I want a splashy sign. I don't know if I want to sign Cristiano Ronaldo or Messi right. or, or Griezmann. Like, I think those tend to be in the long term bad signings economically mm-hmm. if you don't have the the financial backing. I think it was a very smart. It was a much smarter one than the the what the first uh, window under Arteta. Was there? Yeah, name? the previous couple really. Yeah. I mean, because we had Suarez and uh, Marie come in. Sec, uh, the January window yeah. previously. Whereas this, this seems like a, for the first time in a minute, it feels like we actually have a plan. It's definitely mm-hmm. a long-term plan. You're looking at the signings and it feels like a long-term plan. But yeah. at least it, it, it does feel like some sort of coherency. Mm-hmm. And I don't know where it comes from, but it, yeah, I, I think as overall, nothing too exciting, but I'd give it a solid B if we were giving letter grades to it. Yeah, let's let's talk about the plan for a minute because I think that's that's kind of the, the the general or very obvious theme from this, and something the pundits did not seem to pick up on, but it seems mm-hmm. very obvious to me or anybody who is looking at the the signings that were made. Um, but for some reason, the, the the people commenting on on Arsenal just looked at this and were couldn't figure out what they were trying to do. And I <laughs> I I think you look at the age profile and that seems very fairly obvious that they're trying to build a team that's going to be together and in two to three years hitting their prime in, in, all at once. And I think that is a, a positive well, uh, thing. I mean, I, I think it's, it's interesting. And maybe some of our uh, more uh, European-based uh, uh listeners can uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it may be a very American type of thing to have a rebuild year and looking for a three-year plan as opposed to mm-hmm. a more immediate plan. Like we we're very used because of the, the no relegation thing. We're very used to having teams be really bad for a couple of years with the idea 
that they're going to be rebuilding in a five-year plan and get youth and cut down contracts and things like that. I mean, you, you see it in other Kroenke teams. They did it with the Rams a couple years back. They'll do it like, I mean, the Mariners always say they're going to do it, whether they <laughs> succeed in it is a different thing. But uh, sure. So I, I wonder if it's a very American viewpoint on that sport, sports thing. I, can you think of other teams in the Premier League that have done this style? Well, I think it, 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 it kind of when you have a ton of money to spend, you can kind of buy your way out of trouble mm. and you can go splash cash and buy a couple big players and fix the plug, the holes and fix the things that are going wrong. Whereas Arsenal have kind of been bad at this for a while. <laughs> and so to plug the hole, you're, you're, there's a lot of holes to plug and you're looking at a, a squad that was imbalanced and all over the place age wise and really didn't have a cohesiveness to it. And and there's still, it is not a complete product. There is still things that need to be done, but I think for, you know, a a rebuild to work, it's got to happen in, in phases, especially when you're not, not working with a open-ended cash bucket you know like here you're you're dealing with i mean this is bigger than i expected arsenal to go really i when arteta said that they he was going to get backed in this window i wasn't sure what that actually meant i thought that might mean okay we got ben white that's our big big spending and that was going to be uh supplemented with a couple 20 million dollar signings perhaps um but to get six six players coming in and um, in one window to be the biggest spending team in, in this window, um, that's kind of surprising. Now, whether that, you know, people look at the players that we got and, and, and people are definitely scratching their head saying, how is this the biggest spending team? And this is what they got for it. But I look at that and say, well, no, it's they're the biggest spending team that is gonna have the payoff in a year or two or three not right now and when we've tried to do it right now look where that's gotten us you know like we're we're trying to make up for those lost years trying to win now whereas we could have been kind of doing this at the same time but they decided to do one strategy over the other rather than find a way to meld them into what should be a cohesive strategy where you're mixing and matching you know, the, uh, experience with the youth, but now we're, we're going all in on the youth. So, uh, you know, it may not be everybody's cup of tea, but at least it is a strategy and it is something that is clear that they have bought into. And, um, I think the hard part is you've had two years, two, three years of decline that has frayed the patience of every fan. I think that, if you had done this a couple of years ago, this you you would have had the the runway to to you know build this team up to let these players develop to um, start getting the results, and now you've burned up all the goodwill, and what you're left with is a bunch of <laughs> impatient fans, a bunch of um, crappy pundits like slagging Arsenal left, right, and center, and and. I think it's it is hard to 
get people to buy into this this late in the 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 process. You know, I think there was expect an expectation that this could have and should have happened earlier. Yeah, and I think that's one of the big issues is that uh, you know, you you there's only so many times you can be told be patient before mm-hmm. people get a little bit wary of that message that uh, you know, like we were told even under the last years of Arsenal, hey, it's coming. We're just, uh, you know, finding the right pieces. And then when you had uh, Emery come in, is like, all right, we're going to do a rebuild and, you know, it's going to be, this is our, our new way. And that obviously didn't happen. And then we're being sold a, uh, the bill again. And I think while I disagree with those people in a lot of ways, I can totally understand the frustration of okay, here we go again, being told that you know this is a rebuild. We're 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 finally on the right track now. Just give us another couple of years. Mm-hmm. When it's been like you know four years, five years of this this path, you mm-hmm. know, and seeing not even seeing uh, no results, but seeing negative results. I think that's the uh, the hardest things to buy is that we're worse off. Mm by a, a, a fairly large degree than we were when this whole process started four or five years ago. Right. I, there, there's so many different avenues to take when you're looking at like the state, the state of the team, the state of the, uh, not beyond the lineup, beyond the squad, just looking at what Arsenal as a whole is trying to do both with the coaching, with the, just the whole thing. I mean, there's so many layers to this. It's really hard to dissect it all and feel like there is a uh, a cohesive vision. Um, because you, you look at what uh, the type of team that Arsenal is building now, and you looked at, at, at the resources that they put in the previous couple seasons, and they don't seem to line up to me. Like, you go, it, it, it is difficult to see where... Arteta's vision played into things prior to this season, prior to this window. Um, you've got players like Pepe and Aubameyang who they've put significant resources into that play a style of game that doesn't seem to line up with the type of player that Arteta wants to have. I find that very confusing. And I think people on the outside find the the disjointed uh, recruitment very confusing up to this point, like leading into, okay, now we're signing youth players. We're signing players that are good in possession. We're signing players that can carry the ball and be good, good stewards of the ball and all across the field. But you look at, you look at how we're trying to score and there's still a bit of a question mark in my mind. Well, I mean, I think part of it without, I mean, we don't have a legal team here, so nor do I think we need one necessarily. But <laughs> I think part of the recruitment towards the beginning of the Emery era was that whole, what was it? Agent-driven recruitment, I believe was the term mm-hmm. that they used. And I think we definitely uh, saw the negative effects of that 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 agent-driven recruitment, the, the idea we paid over the odds for players that weren't that good. And I think finally we've moved away from that. And I think finally someone somewhere, whether it's a do, whether it's somewhere in the Cron- Cronkery organization or whether it's our dead them himself, 
and said, no, we just have to do this the good old-fashioned way of buying good young players and hope they develop. Yeah, that agent-driven recruitment was so... It's like playing fantasy football where you're just going for like the best players available to you or the best players in your price range. Or, you know, it's like not looking at how is that player going to come in and affect the team around them and just looking at it like, oh, they've been good at this other team. They've got a reputation. Oh, they can do this little thing. It's like for all the the time and effort that our Arsenal has obviously put into um, the the data side of things to toss that out for several years and just ignore it or put it on the back burner is v- really frustrating because I think that works. I think that's where a lot of teams have gone in the meantime. So that lead that we had by purchasing stat DNA and, and really going all in on that under, under Wenger to, to throw that away for a few years and then come back to it and be like, Oh, well, we probably should have been doing this for a while. That's it's really, it's really annoying because it's like, we've, we, it wasn't like we were excelling. We were going in the wrong direction for a while. And then to, to take this detour where we just spent a bunch of money for no reason and didn't have anything to show for it, but further decline. I, I don't know. I mean, clearly that is something that they identified as a problem and that that's something that they have tried to fix, but it, you can't, you can't um, tell the fans that they should be buying into the process when who knows what the process even is like that, that if it's so easy to just kind of throw away this thing that you've um, put so much effort into and then say, Oh yeah, we made a mistake and then have to like course correct. Well, that course correction is going to take time, but now you've lost all the fans along the way. So I I don't know. It, it, It is, it is really difficult and I understand all the vitriol. I understand all the, um, the, the dissatisfaction that, that is bubbling up in the fan base because it just seems like the, nobody really knows what the plan is and who's in charge or what the vision is. It just feels like they're just going to try things and see what sticks. Well, and I think the nice thing to to see is that this 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 window despite what the pundits have said it's actually very clear to me what the the strategy is and what's what's going on in the future mm-hmm. and i think it, I, I think it's actually really funny that like the the broader broader soccer people or soccer pundits don't understand what's what's going on because it's i mean when you just break it down of who arsenal signed and their contract situation and, and who Arsenal re-signed and who Arsenal kept, it's very obvious what's going on. So that's nice. And hopefully going forward, this is a, a strategy that is successful and that we can, can stick to. I think I, I generally understand why the pundits suck so bad at their job. <laughs> and it's, it's that they are very surface level. They are looking at this team and saying, okay, here's where we're, we're putting Arsenal in this this tier of teams, whether they belong there or not. You know, like they are this upper echelon of, of Premier League teams. And when we look to compare them to what the other teams are doing, they're not doing the same thing. So we can't make heads or tails of it. You know, like if, if, if 
Man City and Chelsea and all the and the Liverpools and all these other teams are doing something else from what we're doing. It's just incomprehensible. What could we be possibly doing over at Arsenal? Um, and I, it, that's frustrating because it, it seems lazy, but um, there's a lot of lazy opinions out there and yeah. they, they get a lot of traction with lazy opinions. Yeah. And, and they, you do understand it because they're in, they're also involved in, you know, paying attention to, you know, 30 to 80 teams, depending on the pundit, you know, mm-hmm. and so I can understand mm-hmm. being much more superficial and whereas we're able to like dig more deep into it. But I mean, I, I think even from a, a surface glance, when you start, you have to have a belief that these people aren't just doing random decisions. And when you start seeing a pattern of young players coming in you have to understand that like oh wait and old players going out you have to understand that like oh this is the pattern of it's a new youth movement this is what they're doing whether you agree with it or not is a whole other you know another argument but you can to me it's pretty obvious what's going on yeah i i got into a a twitter discussion the other day with with um someone and we were talking about um kind of the what does Arsenal owe us as fans as far as like an explanation or a plan or anything like that? And and I I understand like their, their argument was, well, Arsenal doesn't owe us anything, you know, you shouldn't expect to to know anything about what they're doing. And I, I, my argument is if you brand, if you not brand it, but if you, if you um, put the effort into the messaging, if you, if you, if, if Arteta was, smart about like maintaining his position i think you have to set expectations a little bit and i get that player that uh, coaches will downplay games or you know like the, the things that they say going into individual games will kind of set expectations but when you're talking about a project to say mm-hmm. that there's a project is one thing but to kind of set expectations about what that project entails where it's going I think they just need to figure out a way to elaborate more without necessarily giving away the whole plan. But I yeah. think like to to reset fan expectations and say, hey, based on who wh- what this rebuild is, we're not expecting to get a Champions League spot this year. It might mm-hmm. be two years. It might be three years. I know they've kind of poked around with that that uh, phrasing here and there over the last couple of years. If you're paying attention. And really listening to every little thing that they're saying, you can suss that out. But I think, like as far as an overall message and and making sure the fans are behind this, they've kind of failed. Yeah, and I mean that's an interesting question. I, you really piqued my interest with what, what does Arsenal owe us or whatever? Because mm-hmm. like I think in a very large sense, Arsenal owes us everything. I mean, it really just depends on what you view the club to be. Mm-hmm. Whereas I, I, I really do view the club, the, the, the at C and AFC to be very important, which is that without the fans, without ever, with us there, the club is nothing. But I understand that maybe the ownership views it from a very, very different point of view, which is that mm-hmm. it's an entertainment product. And if it's an entertainment product, you know, like Coca-Cola owes the person who drinks Coca-Cola nothing, you know? So right. it really just kind of depends on how you view the team and the sport and things in general, but that's a much wider question. But I think if you're, I agree there, they are an entertainment product first and foremost, 
if you're if you're looking to pull people away from other entertainment, then you're, you're if you're competing with movies and television, all these things that uh, that could draw viewers away. Those those sorts of things are planting seeds, saying, "Hey, look what we're working on. It's not out yet, but in a year or so, we're going to have this cool movie or this cool series." And and they're building that goodwill along the way, like giving you hints about what what you can expect. And I think that is not beyond the realm of what an entertainment company should do. So if you look at it from that perspective, mm-hmm. then Arsenal is failing at the messaging from an entertainment company standpoint. By the way, every time the word entertainment company and soccer get put together, I shudder a little bit. And I think there's like a little part of my soul that dies. I'd rather that it be that than the face, the, the face of an oil company, you know, like there's, <laughs> there's many other ways it could go. It could be a sports. Uh, yeah. Let's just get rid of all the money and uh, mm-hmm. watch our local teams and get, yeah, let's just get a bunch of youth players out there and see what happens. Yeah. Uh, anyways, sorry. <laughs> um, so yeah, we got a little derailed there, but you know, so let's uh, let's take a look at like the the six six players that did come in this window, um, and and then we can talk a little bit about some of the the players that have left or have gone on loan. Um, you know, I we've seen a little bit of Tavares. I'm intrigued by him. Mm-hmm. He, he seems like uh, is an obvious need getting a backup for Tierney. So that good check check a big box there. Uh, Lakonga. We needed an heir apparent for party. We needed a partner for party that isn't Jaka. Um, and so he has a ton of potential. I'm excited about that. The uh, Ben White, I, I, I'm a, I'm, I like the idea of him, but I have not seen enough of him to say, oh, that, that, that checks out. That's going to be a good signing. Like I, it, there's still, a few question marks on whether that was a good $50 million purchase um, or 50 million pound. I, I, I get dollars and pounds flip flip. I flip them often. So you forgive know, me if you're not converting currency properly. When you get to this amount of money, it's just a lot. It doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> millions and millions. Um, Odegaard could not be more excited, but I don't know if like, yes, it makes the team better. But does it make the team better than where we ended last year? I don't know yet. I hope that having more of a season or full season under his belt, a five-year contract to make him feel settled, I feel like there are definitely things that will make him better than what we saw in the in the six-month stint previously. And then you've got Ramsdale, who I was not entirely sure about, but I, th- I felt a little bit more comfortable with after the cup game. I felt like he showed some things that Leno does not have in his toolbox. So I'm like, okay, if we can develop that, I'm all for it. And then we, we just signed a, a, a right back, which checks to another big box for me because that was clear from the first three games that that was going to be an issue for the season if we, they didn't address it. So for me, that was a, a, a big um, decision day signing. So that was, I don't know if he's going to be good yet. We can probably talk about that more once we see him play, but 
I'm very excited that we finally got a Japanese player because we've had a ton of them in our, well, not a ton, but we've had a handful of them at Arsenal that have not really <laughs> made it. So I, I'm hoping this is the one that sticks. Yeah, I mean, he that was definitely the uh, the biggest surprise. I remember waking up on deadline day and checking my phone. Like, I, I have the habit of it's the worst habit in the world of waking up and looking at my phone. And, oh, I uh, did the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, turn off my alarm, look at my phone. Uh, and I saw that come through, and I was like, "Huh, I I I, I don't think I'd ever heard of him really mm-hmm. <laughs> until uh, that that was uh, the news and." Yeah, I mean, he's it's the type of player that you're really not going to know what he's about until you get to see him because you can watch all the YouTube videos you want, but those YouTube videos, if someone made a YouTube video about my playing career, it would look as amazing as Henri's, you know? <laughs> like, you mm-hmm. can, if you can just... You can cut it yeah, however exactly. you want. So, and especially with a defender, I think you'll see much more of the medal after a couple games and see what type of player they are. So I'm hopeful. I'm excited. I think it was a, a great, good signing because he, he can play center back and right back. So there's cover that way as well. Mm-hmm. And I love versatile players and, you know, you know, we'll see. <laughs> so, yeah. What was what, your assessment of the rest of the, the players that we signed? Do you feel, is there anybody that, um, it stands out for you or maybe, well, we'll talk more about who you're most excited about a little bit later, but you know, like what's your overall feeling on the, some of these players that we signed? I mean, I'm, I'm, I am excited about Odegaard. I think you, you, you said it right, which is that he's going to be settled and I think he's going to feel appreciated now that he's here on a permit Mm -hmm. and has a, a good long contract. And I think, in his career, that's what he's needed. I think it was always. I remember. I remember when he signed for Madrid, and I thought it was an absolute mistake for a kid that young to try and play and get time at Madrid. And that's how careers die. <laughs> I think uh, it's important to remember that just because he has a pedigree doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to be the best player in the world. But if he can be a serviceable attacking midfielder, I think that's a good. A good sign. Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, getting the cover for Tyranny, I wasn't super impressed uh, with uh, uh, Tavares's first game necessarily, but I think there was there's bright, shining parts of it, and I think he's played in a little bit better. Yeah, I mean, overall, I think we addressed what we needed to other than... I still am worried of where the goals are going to come from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think, uh, but you can't, you literally can't do ever. You can't fill all the holes as we talked about. We, you can't fill all the, the issues in one transfer window. And it feels like that's what we're doing this transfer window, especially with kind of changing tax that. Mm-hmm. So I think the, the, the proven goal scorer was the one thing that, was missing from this transfer window. Yeah. Yeah. I think when you're looking at where, where we put our funds, I think like trying to get that proven goal scorer was done when they re-signed Aubameyang to a big contract. And then, you know, you, you've got Balogun, you've got Martinelli, you've got Lacazette, you have a core of players that should be able to score goals. And I think a lot of what this window is about was trying to 
develop the team behind them in a way that um, created more ball security and hopefully once this team gets comfortable with each other, uh, a, a bit faster and more technical than they have been in the past. Now that's that's probably a big stretch, you know, when you're looking at what we've seen in the first three games. I'm not sure the signings that we have are suddenly going to just be lights out, speedy technical players. But I think there is potential there by next season to get to that point. I do see a ton of like potential in these players, but none of them are um, superstars in the making on their own. I think like this is a uh, better what's to say that better than some of their parts sort of thing where like by putting these this this group of young players together, they're going to develop, they're going to hit hit some of the things that Arteta is looking for and they can grow together and and become what we're hoping they will be in a year you know like i I, i'm just thinking it's it's not a now none of this is for now like i don't see any of these players as a now signing i mean and what's exciting i don't want to get too carried away going the other direction but it does kind of remind me of the uh the young guns of the the of your you know we had Fabregas and Reyes and all these younger players breaking through and you know there's a chance that if we can hold on to that magic it can help the the team lift up and things like that and you know I I I think that's where a lot of people did fall in love with the Arsenal way was when you had those young players that were just playing above and swashbuckling and playing an exciting style. So, I mean, I think it's hopeful that that's kind of the direction we're going. And I feel much better about trying and failing this direction than buying old players from Chelsea for way too much money. Mm-hmm. And I do feel like they're, with what they're doing... We're kind of they're, they're they're kind of saying like it's it's not going to happen this year, but we're gonna we're gonna push for Europe. We're gonna push for a top a top six, a top five, and hopefully that gets us to the point where when Aubameyang and Lacazette are gone, like Lacazette will be gone next season, whether we like it or not. Then at that point, you can see where this team stands, and then go out and get that that next generation striker that fills in for what you're losing with Aubameyang and Lacazette. I, I, I think that's okay to kick that can for one more transfer window. Like I, I get why they put their money into these sorts of players instead of splashing big money on a, a striker or a, a, um, a bigger name. And also goes to what you've been, the drum you've been beating since I've, been doing the podcast with you and since before I've been doing the podcast with you <laughs> which is that uh the the resale value that you can actually have players that even if they don't work out you can actually god forbid sell them for money which Arsenal mm-hmm. has been horrible about for 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 years so there is that side of things as well yeah I mean looking at with, with um with pretty much all the signings except for maybe Tavares they are all just starting to get into their national teams. And once they establish themselves at that level, their value is going to go up by another 10 million. Like just 
by default, once you make, <laughs> once you start becoming a regular in the t- in your national team, that just adds extra money onto you. So I think getting getting these players before they hit that level where they're just starting to be at the fr- the fringes of their their national team picture, um, it's it's smart. I mean, I, I think Ben White and uh, obviously Odegaard is is the captain of his national team. Like I, I he he maybe is a different situation because he is now. Um, needing to kind of live up to his reputation in a way. Like he needs to kind of show that he has the skills that everybody believed he did when Real Madrid signed him. Um, But yeah, Ben White and Ramsdale, I think will be um, moving their way into the English national team in the next couple years. And um, uh, our Japanese player, Tommy, Tomiyasu uh, is, is already got quite a few caps with the Japanese national team. Um, you've got uh, Lakonga, who was recommended by, um, oh, why am I blanking on the Belgium national team coach? Um, oh, I'm totally, uh, I can see his face. Um, yeah, I can totally see his face. Because uh, he does commentary in English all the time. Uh, as the coach of Swansea. It's going to bug me. Uh, <laughs> I could name pretty much. He was at Walford. I can name all the co- teams he's coached. <laughs> well, anyway, anyways, he, he's 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 come highly recommended from him because he was on the on the fringes of the the national team going into the Euros this year. So he was almost there, and so it's it's um there's a ton of potential in the the, the six signings that we have, and. On top of that, I think some people will say we didn't do enough on the sales side, but I think like we've gotten enough people out of the way where you can really focus on the core of this team. And I think a lot of the most of these players will see good minutes. And I, I, even without European competition, I think there's going to be enough to go around. And, and going to the sales side of things, it's, I mean, not to beat a drum I've said a million times before, but it's a very depressed market right now. And you're looking mm-hmm. at the even the big sales, like even the Griezmann sale, you look at how much money Barca lost on Griezmann, it's not even yeah. funny. It, yeah. It, they they lost hundreds of millions of pounds on Griezmann selling them. So mm-hmm. if you have the ability and it's not going to destroy your team to hold on to these players for a little bit, and sell them even the next window or the window after when hopefully the economy is a little better, it's not a bad idea because it wasn't like teams were making money in this transfer window and it very mm-hmm. much quite the opposite. And especially when you had teams like Barca and Real Madrid and other teams just taking, selling great players for pennies on the dollar, like you're not going to make a ton of money. Yeah. It actually makes so the, looking- sorry, it makes the Jaka resigning a little bit more sense, which is that you hold him on for a couple of years and hopefully you can make better money off of him later, you know? Yeah. So let's, let's talk a little bit about the, some of the, the loans and, uh, the things that were not straight incoming transfers. So you've got, uh, um, Emile Smith Rowe, which was a a great get as far as the, um, contract extension. Uh, as you mentioned, we had Jaka, which, I was okay with until this last game. And I was like, what are we doing? What a horrible mistake this was. Um, but I get it. I get, I get like on 
all things being equal, if you don't look at like the red card situation that he seems to find himself in all too frequently, um, I get the solidity that he brings. I get that he's not a flashy player, but he does exactly what Arteta wants of him. And if you can't go out and get a ready-made replacement for that, it, it kind of makes sense to hold hold on to him for a little bit longer. It, but you're also signing on for this garbage that he seems to pull regularly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how, what else he can say about it. It's just it, it's his, what comes with with having Jacques on your team. Yeah. But on the bright side, you know, we no longer have Louise, so it's down to just one player who's doing it on a regular <laughs> basis. Um, on the on the loan side, we were able to um, get Genduzi on a loan. We got Saliba out on loan. We got Torreira out on loan. Nelson went on the last day. This one kills me. Bellerin out oh, on loan. I... I totally understand why it needed to happen and I still love him as a player and I hope that he is better at the end of this loan and back to, I just feel like he, he's a, he's the guy, the type of player that needs to kind of like refine his passion for the game. Cause I think he was just pushing through and not really finding joy in it. And that's, that's not a player that you want to, put in your starting lineup necessarily. I, I was talking about Bellerin because he never really was the same after that injury. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if he's still feeling that injury or if he, you know, after he was laid up for a little bit, he found other passions and just couldn't find it again for, uh, for playing. Yeah. I think there's some of that. And I, I, I still don't know if he is the best partner for Pepe on that side. Um, so I think that was, a point of frustration um, for both players. I just don't think that they work well together and what they, to, to get the best out of each player, you're, you can't play them together. So I, I that doesn't, doesn't really work for what we're trying to do. Um, but I, I hope he's good. You know, he improves over this next year. And, and when he comes back, there's a clearer picture of what Arsenal need, or, you know, maybe they're able to move him on for a bigger price or, you know, the, the the situation is definitely going to be different next year, I'm assuming. Yeah. Um, and Runnerson found a home last minute, so he is uh, not going to be just sitting, not playing, because with uh, um, our... Uh, Ramsdale? Ramsdale signing, and I'm try- I, I was trying to think of our uh, younger player that came from our U23s. Okay, um, oh, what is it? Okonkwu. Okonkwu. Sorry for the pronunciation. Yeah, totally botching that. But um, I didn't see a lot of of space for Runderson to get any minutes, really. So he had to go out. Uh, So on the the loan side, I'm glad for Nelson. I'm glad for Bellerin. I'm glad for Runderson to get um, time somewhere else. I don't know if we'll ever see Genduzi back on Arsenal, nor do I think Torreira will be back at any point um Saliba there will be people that will forever wish he didn't go out on loan but um he seems to be killing it over at uh um Versailles so he's going to be better for it whether we like it or not we still have him under contract for a bit too so like if he if like if if or 
if the stars align and he can fit into the team, you know, it's tells, uh, what is it? 24. Or so, uh, you know, there's still a couple of years that we can get, you know, out of him if it, if it works. Mm-hmm. And outside of that, like the only sale really was Joe Willick. And that's, I guess maybe as good as we could have expected. I think it, there would have been, there are people who are wishing we had, found a way find, found a way to get some other players out like Kalasnach or uh, Elmeni or a couple other players who are kind of on the fringe and and maybe could have brought in some funds and maybe they still find a way to get them out I know that the Turkish uh window is still open I've heard <laughs> heard some rumors between those two that they have both had interest from Turkey so um maybe something will still happen in the next week or so but yeah, I, I, it is interesting that Joe Willick was the the one, only one to go out, but it, like you said, it is a very depressed market. So the the stars did not align this time around, but that doesn't mean, uh, um, I don't know. I I I feel like we're we're okay. We're in an okay place. I'm not like gonna lose sleep over the players that we had to keep. Yeah, I mean, and at the end of the day, when you're looking at the the contract dates, it's there's some, you know, contracts that are ending at the end of the next year, but there's not a ton. So I'm not, it's not like we're losing a ton of value by not selling big this window. Yeah. I think maybe like Enkedia is one that I will wish we had gotten some money for since he was pretty close at the, uh, crystal palace move. It sounded like, but it fell apart due to, uh, personal terms. So that's unfortunate, but yeah, it is what it is. Uh, and I cannot forget to mention we found a way to get William out the door, <laughs> which is kind of the biggest miracle of them all. I mean, I think. And, and the fact that he tore up his contract, basically, yeah. like that is unbelievable. Well, I just think he realized the the fact that the club didn't want him there and like he wasn't probably going to get playing time. Mm-hmm. And I think there's got to be, I, you have to doff your cap. I do appreciate William for that of just instead of making this a long drawn out protracted thing just go your separate way be an adult about it and i think you'll be happier playing in uh brazil was it, was it corinthians right mm-hmm. yeah yeah which you know, is a good club i think he'll have a good time there and like i think it's a very appropriate he probably took a pay cut but to be honest he's been making enough money that if he hasn't saved up enough he should be in trouble anyway so yeah, I think he's he's probably going to do fine and he's going to be happier for it. So I think yeah. that that it all washes out in the end and Arsenal come out ahead, I think. So, uh, you know, maybe the downside to that is that he left at a t- at a point in the window where we couldn't really take that money that he's leaving on the table and and turning it turn it into another player, but you know, it all goes it all goes into the same transfer budget so it's hopefully. probably got spent elsewhere <laughs> hopefully it goes already the transfer budget not to the crunky's pocket but yeah um but yeah i think that's that's about all i can say about transfers i think it was there are a lot of people that are down on the overall window but for me i think it it is a it is a rebuild and and it like you, like you said, you can't do it all in one one shot. And if you're switching strategies, you're starting from you know starting from scratch. Like I, I understand that they've brought in some pieces over the last couple of years, but really, if you're if you're looking to do something completely different, 
then you have to change your expectations a little bit. Yeah. And I, I just, you know, to, to sum it up, uh, I think to say the last like three years really have been disappointing transfers windows. And this is the first transfer window in a while that I've been very happy with at the end of it. I, th- I think it's exciting. I think there's a lot of good positive momentum going out of it. And as I said, I, I, I give it a solid B. Is it the best transfer window ever recorded in human history? No, that was PSGs this year. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, if is it a, a good solid transfer window? I think with a lot of good parts that moving forward will be helpful. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And and I think it one one point that continually gets brought up with Arteta kind of on thin ice at the moment is that this this uh team that we have now I think would be a pretty good team under a different coach as well. Yeah. Like if we did have to make a coaching change, the pieces that are there are not pulling this team down necessarily. You don't have individuals that are going to cause issues. Whereas in the past couple of seasons, there have been some guys where if a coaching change happened and they didn't see eye to eye, <coughs> Louise, <Yeah>. um, <laughs> you know, it uh, might not go so well. Yeah. So I, I think uh, it, it, we're in a good place no matter what the coaching situation turns into over the next season or two. Yeah. Um, but I think we should take a break there. We've talked this, talked this thing to death and we have a ton of questions from you guys. So it's going to be a long episode as it is. Let's just get, <laughs> take a break and, and come back and, and talk about what you want to talk about. So, uh, Stick with us and we'll get to your questions when we come back. Welcome back from the break. We've got so many questions. We don't even know what to do with them this week. So it's a good thing. Just keep sending them in. Well, we've got another uh, international break coming up. So less Arsenal stuff happening. So if you have questions, save them up. We've got another episode next week that we're definitely going to need them. Uh, but this week we've got quite a few. So let's, let's get to it. Um, from Tim Whittem, uh, how are we supposed to feel as Arsenal fans right now? I, I feel like this is, this kind of dovetails right in with the, the transfer window and uh, the general state of the team. So what, what do you think, Tim? How do how, how do you feel and how do you think we're supposed to feel coming out of the transfer window? Well, I think the supposed to is a interesting question in which I think everyone is like everyone's has a right to their own feeling about the team. So however you feel is valid and there's no way you're supposed to feel about anything, let alone a soccer team with a, uh, but how do I feel? I feel cautiously optimistic. I think mm-hmm. I, I am, ex- I know it's the start of a, of a season and I think everyone gets this optimistic feeling at the start of a season even despite certain results i i think the transfer window has been good and i think having a direction finally feels good i think that's the thing that i get the most optimistic about that i i I love and a direction i like i would feel really weird if we spent you know 10 billion dollars and bought Messi, ronaldo and just built a super team i don't it's not how I, I, the PSG way is not my way of, of enjoying mm-hmm. a team. So I'm, I'm very excited. I think there's a lot of potential. 
there is a little bit of a nagging worry, but I, I've been preparing myself for several seasons to the fact that we are not on par with a Man City or even a Chelsea at this point, or a, uh, we, I, I've, I've, I'm very prepared for the fact that this season we're not going to be a top four team. And mm-hmm. so if you're prepared for that, I think it's going to be a fun ride. I think it's going to be exciting. Uh, so yeah, I think, I think there are positives to take. I think as an Arsenal fan, be prepared for some, some tough losses like the last week's losses, but be prepared for some awesome wins and some, uh, actually players that are fun to root for. That's, that's, that's how I feel. How about you? Yeah, I, I agree with the cautiously optimistic, even, even though we're sitting at the very (laughs) bottom of the table, I, I don't believe that we're going to be there, um, for very long. And maybe that's too optimistic based on the performances we've had. But I do think that they've assembled a decent team here. But expecting it to be easy is is maybe too optimistic. I think it is going to be a tough, a tough season. And it is going to be tough against the teams that are ahead of us, which is everybody right now. But I, I, mainly, I think I think we are... We are in that eighth place in my mind. And there's seven teams ahead of us that are going to be tough to beat. But I do think there's, you know, uh, 12 teams below us, really, realistically, that we should be able to get points off of. So if you're, you know, looking at what, what we have assembled with the transfer window, I think... We are going to be competitive, but just not not dominant. And so it'll it'll take a while, and it's not going to be an instant. I, I don't expect to come back from the international break and suddenly be a, an amazing team. I still think that there's a lot of work to do to develop these players into the team that Arteta wants, and I think there needs to be some patience for that. I am hoping that when we come back, we can find ways to get points out of, you know, Norwich and, and, and Burnley and uh, continue in the EFL Cup and against AFC Wimbledon, which I, I think we we should be able to hold our own with. And by the time we get to the, the Tottenham match on the 26th of September, I'm hoping that there is some positivity to build on, some, some belief, some uh, confidence in this team and and hopefully a better sense of what this team should be or wants to be under Arteta. And if it's not clear at that point, I think he he fully deserves to own that and and have an answer for it. And if he doesn't, then I think we we need to move on. And I I don't t- say that lightly. I don't think the carousel of coaches is beneficial to us. But I do also don't think sticking to a coach that cannot get his message across, cannot get his team to buy into what he's doing should get more time than he deserves. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it would be foolish to think that he, he just has a blank check for the rest of the season. I don't think that the, the front office is necessarily going to do that. He has to show something in these next 
three, four games or else it's going to be uh, a tough sell going forward. Like the players won't have, won't be buying in at that point either. It's not just the fans he has to win over. He has to continue to have the players believe that there is something to fight for. So I, I, I the cautiously optimistic is, is, only for a certain amount of time here. We we have we we can't just be cautiously optimistic for this whole season. There has to be something to show for it. So, I think now that we have Arteta's guys, he he has to to show up and 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 find a way to get the best out of them. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a that's a very fair way to say it. And I think Arteta would almost agree with you that if he has nothing to show for it after the next three four games, any type of development or anything like that you deserve to start questioning him and of course also the people above him too. I I always want to Mm -hmm. be cautious to say that it's not just the coach. It is also the people above the coach that are directing some of these things as well. But right. Getting back to Tim's question, I think both of us are in agreement that it's cautiously optimistic. Yeah. And, and, and all of the, the anger and, and things that, you know, I've seen, you know, when you when you're checking your phone first thing in the morning, you're also getting uh, slapped in the face with all the negativity that's out there, and it's it's rough. It's rough as an Arsenal fan right now. I get it. We're the uh, the punching bags of the league. We are at the bottom of the league, and deservedly so. I mean, we are not playing to our potential. We are not the team that we want to be. And I just have to like when when people when i talk to other soccer fans about arsenal i just have to shrug and say hey i i i can't account for what these players are doing but i am optimistic that we will find a way forward when- and that's that, that 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 doesn't go down very well with people who are like ah, yeah whatever man uh but you know alcohol helps yeah <laughs> one of my best friends up here is a newcastle fan and he's like you ain't seen nothing man <laughs> right i mean we've had it good for many many years with just like the basically automatic uh qualification in the champions league so now it's we're just seeing what the other side of the premier league has dealt with for many many years so we, we've We've seen it all at this point. <laughs> uh, you want to take that next question? Yeah. Uh, so uh, David Sheffield asks, were we ruthless enough in our business since the end of the last campaign? I, I, I find that to be tough to be ruthless when the market is as it was. Um did we get rid of the people that could be causing problems behind the scene? I think so. I hope so. I think that is, um, when you're talking about being ruthless, I I think the Ainsley Maitland Niles situation that has cropped up in this last week, uh, it is, it is a good example of how to be ruthless, but also forgiving and, and, uh, we we don't really know what happened behind the scenes, but I, I think ultimately, like that, what what he did to kind of try to force his way out didn't pan out. But I think he, from an outside perspective, he's been given assurances that he will get opportunities, and I think based on our central midfield options, he's going to get opportunities in a position that he actually wants to play. So I'm, you know. We'll see how that pans out. If the if the ruthlessness is really happening behind the scenes, or if he, if 
you know, Arteta is really a pushover at the end of the day. But um, yeah, I, I I have concerns about the ruthlessness. I have concerns when when Jacka gets a red card over and over again, and there's no real punishment outside of him missing a few games based based on that red card. So I'm I'm not sure if we can really judge ruthlessness from our outside perspective. Well, I mean, uh, based on what we're we're able to see. I mean, Arsenal's business has never been ruthless. Like I, I, I can't um, remember a time when we've uh, really won the battle on the economic side of things as being a ruthless being that, you know, like the example I think you'd probably look at is uh, Levy from uh, Spurs. But I don't think you need to be ruthless to be a good team. I think sometimes being ruthless hurts you. Like Levy mm-hmm. is a great example of he's probably far too ruthless. And I think his ruthlessness hurts the team. I think we will see what happens with the Harry Kane situation later. And I think it's going to screw Tottenham over later, if not sooner. And I think there's a smart way to do business where you can be strong and tough without being ruthless. I think, you know, not to always talk about the Sounders, but it's one of the other teams I know very well. And the Sounders are are that way, which is you wouldn't call them ruthless, but I think you'd call them sharp in their business practices. Mm-hmm. And I think... Well, I don't think Arsenal's been sharp in their business practice over the last few years, but I think they have in the past. And I think this transfer window, they were sharp. I think they didn't bow to the pressure of uh, uh, Reese Nelson and uh, the Everton link or even Jaka and uh, his Roma thing. I think that was a very... I, Despite the red card and the, the, the small short-term picture, I think in the long-term picture, not caving to Roma and just selling them at any cost was not a bad thing. So is Arsenal ruthless? No. Is Arsenal being sharper? Hopefully. Hopefully in the next windows we'll see. But I will say that I haven't been impressed necessarily in the previous windows. Yeah, I think they found a, a, a bit more pragmatism in this window to this, in the sense that they're not they didn't do a ton of stupid money deals. And I don't even think the Jaka thing was stupid money. I mean, they gave him a, a moderate raise to, to keep him around. And that's, I think based on the market, not a, not a stupid money idea. Now, whether that we get returns for that, I don't know. You know, I don't know if Jaka is going to be more appealing in another year after, the, after this, but you know, it, 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 it makes sense in a way way more than than signing some old players would you know like if you were to try to get rid of Jaka but then go out and, and spend money on a uh, a Louise or a William type player I would be like okay Arsenal have not learned their lesson but re-signing Jaka is not necessarily in that same mold so I think um, it is difficult to be ruthless in this market but it is not difficult to be pragmatic and I think they found a way to do smart deals which I think is all you can expect at this point in time. Uh, next couple questions. Uh, we got one from Josh Lee. Hey, Josh. Hey, Josh. Uh, and and uh, Rod Nichols. Uh, both asking pretty much where we see the Arsenal 
formation going at this point. Uh, you know, there's there's been lots of talk about a four three three. Josh asks if we're going to do a, a three four three based on, um, you know, uh, Tomiyasu looks like a a really good center back right back hybrid, so maybe he looks good in a back three. Um, I think Bologna was playing a back three with him. I, I'm not sure what their formation exactly was, but, um, you know, he does open up some, some doors there and we have players that can play as wing backs. So maybe having a back three makes sense. But, uh, as Rod brings up, there's four, two, three, one, three, five, twos. There's a lot of different formations. Um, what do you, what do you think going forward is the true formation or is it going to be constantly shifting? Um, so I'm going to not try and get too weird and nerdy and pedantic about formations. Cause I have a weird idea about formations anyways, which is that, uh, I don't know. Numbered formations of the way we use them are kind of outdated in a lot of ways. It's not like, when you say a, a three four three, it's that you always have three players in one position, four players in one position, three players in another. Like it, those types of uh, positions are always shifting. Uh, whether you're in possession, out of possession, where the ball is, what path. I mean, it's it's probably more correct to start say talking about uh, where players play in average position, where they're where, where they are kind of in a zone type of thing. I know that's how, uh, uh, why am I forgetting his name? This is where I forget every single manager's name ever. Uh, manager of Man City, which is Pep Guardiola. Sorry. Pep Guardiola. Completely the engine wasn't turning over, but Pep Guardiola <laughs> rarely talks about formations and numbers as opposed to the kind of zones mm. and areas. Uh, so I think it's more interesting to, to kind of place players in kind of bands and where you, you think they are. But yeah, I think that all being said, I think three at the back is where ideally we want to be. I think it, it, it puts the attacking because currently you have a lot of uh, three on attack and you, and in a lot of teams. And that means that you have at least a one-on-one uh, with the, the whoever's attacking with whoever's defending at least a one-on-one. So you're not having any overloads that way. And it, it does kind of help you in the midfield. Uh, and I think it's, it's where our personnel really fits. And I think you want to have that trident and attack, especially if you're trying to fit uh, Pepe and Obama Yang kind of on that front line. How about you? Yeah, I, I too have a hard time putting Arsenal in one of these boxes. Um, I do, I do see a lot of potential with Tomiyasu. I think he's, um, he's not a type of player from what I've seen that's going to bomb forward, but he offers a ton of stability in the back and and offers also the ability to play center back and right back, which gives you a lot of flexibility depending on what you want to do within a game. Um, so I think that I could see us starting with four and ending with three by the end of a game, depending on what personnel we want to s- switch around. 
So I think that that type of signing is really good in, in that it gives you that tactical flexibility um, depending on, on the game state. Um, but I, I think always, if you look at the way Arsenal has played, you've got, we've been relying on somebody, whether it's Jaka or whoever coming in and filling that, that, that hole that, that tyranny leaves when he bombs forward. But if you can shift, you know, if you, if you keep Tomiyasu home and you've got your back three there with him and white and Gabriel, then Tierney can get forward and you don't really have to worry about the back line as much. Therefore, Xhaka can stay forward and you have a much better shield in front of that back three. Um, I, I think if, if we can get Xhaka stay, you know, where he isn't having to track back and isn't having to, you know, I, he's okay as a defender, but he's not our best defender necessarily. I think he is much better playing safe passes and hopefully playing them forward. So I think if you can keep him in the midfield, that's a much better position for him. Well, I mean, rather than having to cut over and cut cover for Tierney constantly. Not to get onto the Jaka shit train, but like I, I think ideally we're not playing Jaka as our starting midfielder anyway. Yeah, in, in and the, if that's Lakonga or, or Party or whoever, yeah. I think they should be in the midfield. They should be in that center circle and and not coming back except to get the ball and carry it forward. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, I think you've got the front the front half of the the field also is is pretty fluid you know you're looking at Emil Smith Rowe who's going to float around you've got uh Odegaard who's kind of stays on the right hand side but he's going to go where the game takes him um so i hope that having more defensive stability allows that f- offensive half of the team to play more in the Wenger style of, hey, let's just put some players out there and, and see what they can do and see mm-hmm. how they can combine. And I, I hope we can get more technical ability in to allow that to happen. Um, and I think Odegaard's smart. He will, co- he will come back and, and find the game where, where he needs to be. He can play defensively if needed, but he's he's the guy that will just find where he needs to be and 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 get there. Um I think with Party, he's he's gonna be I, I don't know like with it with the if we're gonna do a four three three, it's really like to me a triangle of you know party at the base and then like Lakonga and Odegaard playing in front of him perhaps. And then you know, it gets a little blurry <laughs> what that front three looks like. Like you've got a Bamiang clearly who's going to be somewhere in that band, but um, you know, you've got Pepe and Saka maybe on either side of him, but yeah, we, we've got a lot of different things we can do based on the personnel that's available. And I think the way things go with Arsenal with injuries and COVID and all these other red cards and other aspects, it's, it's been challenging to put together a consistent formation and lineup. So I hope that w- whatever we do there, Arteta finds some consistency in this, in this team. And it's, it's interesting. Cause I think uh, one of the big uh, knocks against uh, Arsene Wenger back in the day is that he never had a plan B and he's actually was on record of saying that he sets out his team the way he wants to play, no matter who he's playing against. And, 
mm-hmm. tries to make the other team react to them. I think while that like is idealistically a great way to put it or to do things, I think practically it's nice to have multiple formations and multiple ways to react, not just against an opponent, but during different game states, different game phases, different, you know, uh, you know, setup so that, you know, when you're losing, when you're down two nil to city, you're going to have a different setup than you are being three up against a, 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 a Burnley, you know, mm-hmm. I think, it's important to be extremely flexible with your formation. And I hope it feels like we do have the pieces to be that flexible with those formations that I, I, my, my general hope is that we don't get just set into a, a three, four, three. And then, you know, that's the way we play. And that's the only way we play because with the players we have that gets predictable. And if you start marking out certain players in certain formations, then you can just destroy it. Yeah. And I, I certainly agree with that. Cause I think we've, been over overly reliant on our left side and i'm hoping that like find a way to activate the right hand side a little bit more get more out of pepe get more uh flexibility out of odegaard where you know whatever we're doing on that right hand side it needs to be more balanced so that if if the tyranny thing isn't working we have some route down the middle we have some route down the right that is equally as as viable and and can you can shift the game depending on what what the other team is giving you. Now, Man City might not give you that much, but if you're only trying one thing, of, of course you, you're never going to know if if something else would work. And it just seems like there was never a plan B or C when that when the you hit that wall, you know. And I, I, it's also concerning when you start a game strongly having a clear plan. And then that falls apart very quickly when a other team scores on you. So I think there, um, there has to be a, a plan in place when the game state changes. When you go down a goal, what are you going to do differently? And and I think we have smart people on the field. And and I I don't think Arteta is dumb. I think he knows that there needs to be more than what he's what he's thrown out there so far. And so I hope that whatever. Um, pieces he needed are, are are there now to to offer a little bit more tactically because it's it seems like there's been whispers of other things that he wants to do um but we haven't seen it yet so I, i'm hoping we we get to see some more of that with with the new new players that we've signed definitely and uh speaking of signings uh we have bill call uh Con- conley and uh, Charles Allison, and they kind of have similar questions. So I'll read both the questions and we'll kind of combine them together. But uh, Bill asks, uh, what deal during, done during the window, in or out, do you believe will have the biggest impact on the team? Whereas Charles asks, which signing are you most excited about and which are you most concise, concerned about? And Charles is most excited about Lakonga and most concerned about Ramsdale. So with uh, with the business, and we talked a little bit of, uh, about this at the top, but uh, you know, what, what was the best part of business for you and what was the worst part of business for you or the one that is the most concerning for you? Uh, Odegaard for me, I think, is just brilliant. I And for the price that they got him for, I just, I didn't expect it. I really wanted it. It happened 
And like I said, it just, it, it, I think the, the, the player that we saw last season was just a glimpse of what he is, has the potential to be. So I think over the next, you know, five years of his contract, it is, he is going to be one of our most important players. Clearly we, we needed somebody that can do what he does. And if he is able to continue to develop his game, he makes people around him better. He makes Aubameyang work. Like he can find those balls over the top. He can make people around him just play better. So I think that is a, an important piece. And those force amplifiers, you just can't have enough of them. And so I think, you know, of the of the six signings we made, he he has the most immediate impact and and will continue to grow and be a bigger impact going forward. Um, I think my biggest concern, I, it's kind of a toss up. I, well, I think my biggest concern is Ben White right now, um, simply because we haven't seen enough of him to know what he will bring to the table. Ideally, when you're talking about like what our back three or four looks like, I see him as somebody who's going to push up while like Gabriel and, and uh, Tomiyasu stay home a little bit more. He's going to push up hopefully and, and try to find passing lanes and get the, get the ball to, uh, you know, bypass party and, and Lacan all together, get it up to Odegaard, skip all those defenders in the middle. Like I think he has the potential to be that sort of player, but he also has deficiencies. Like we saw, he's not necessarily great with his head, but Tomiyasu is. He might be the best guy with his head that we have right now, based on the statistics. So we'll see how that plays out in the Premier League. But he's got the height and he's got the um, strength to to hold his own. So maybe he makes up for some of what Ben White doesn't have. So if, if their recruitment is is good in practice, as it looks like on paper, Arsenal have a good core to to make up for what Ben Ben White lacks, and he brings. You know, he fills in for what we lost with the Leaves, but will he be able to perform to that level? Louise kind of made it look easy, but, you know, like the, that sort of passing is not necessarily easy for a young player who we don't know what his confidence level is. We don't know how he's going to fit in with the back line. So he he's my biggest concern because we just have, we had a good group. We've not seen that level of defense so far this season, so... I think he needs to come good more than any of the other players we signed, especially with his price tag. Yeah. And to uh, my answer for the, the one that I'm most concerned about is definitely uh, Ben White. I, I didn't like his price tag. I still don't like his price tag. I understand intellectually why that price tag is the way it is, but I still don't like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, I, and just, you know, seeing it's early yet. So I'm not, it's not like I'm like already writing him off or anything like that. I just, I feel like he has of the signings the most to prove. Uh, as far as the, to get to the positive, I'm really high on Makonga. I've, uh, mm. I, once we got him, I've liked what I've seen. I think he could be the perfect partner for party. Like I'm, I'm really excited to see party and the Congo play together. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, that is uh, one of the most exciting things going forward. Yeah, I think if if 
you know, parties ready to come back after the break here. We'll see that that partnership for the next three games. I'm assuming, you know, I don't know if, uh, you know, we, we've got Elneny for the time being. We've got Ainsley, Maitland, Niles, but I think Lakonga easily is is the better of those those three to to partner with Party. So we'll see how it plays out. But I'm I'm excited, yeah, to see what he he can do. I think he, we've seen glimpses of it, and he definitely has the the right profile for what we want out of that cent, uh, central midfield um, pairing. So we'll see. I I don't know if he's going to be. Re- be the long-term replacement for party. I don't know like where he necessarily fits in, in the long, in the long haul, but for right now, it's definitely looking like an improvement over Shaka in my mind, because he's just more progressive. We need somebody who can push the ball forward. Well, and I wouldn't be looking necessarily for long-term replacements for party because like we have party till 2025. So he's on a long, so, so, but with his injury record and he's 28, I just feel like sooner than later, we're probably going to want to have somebody in place. That's going to be a, a, at least a a viable replacement just because he's not, not playing every game of the season. I mean, like with the injury record with party, that's concerning. But if in an ideal world, I see them as, the midfield pairing going forward. Yeah, definitely. Um, was there any other parts of that question? I think that was pretty much, that's pretty much it. Unless we want to talk about the, uh, someone leaving that we're most excited about, I guess, but yeah, I feel that. I don't know. I think, I think, I think the William thing was huge. I mean, at, I, it was one thing to get rid of him, another thing to have that contract go away. So that not have to pay it out, you know, that's <laughs> for our, the track record for Arsenal and, and having to literally pay for our mistakes. It's yeah. nice not to have to pay for that one. Yeah. And like when most players go, I, it's not a, a vindictive thing. I'm, I, I wish the best for, for, for William. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I don't have any ill will. I think he could have been a good player. I didn't think he was going to be in Arsenal and I'm, very much on record for saying it was one of the worst signings we've ever done. Uh, but yeah, I hope he does well in Corinthians. Yeah. Other than that, I, I mean, all, a lot of the outgoing, we already knew what was happening. So yeah, there's no, no, there's not a lot of outgoing that I've been super excited about that I think is going to reshape the team. Yeah. I think, I think the uh, really the biggest impact would have would have been if Xhaka did go and we didn't hit a, have a replacement for him. I think that the fact that we kept him um, was ultimately a good thing, despite what the his his on field play might show currently. But I think without without a ready made um, replacement, our depth in that position would have been really troubling. Uh, all right. Well, I, I can't, I can't talk anymore about Arsenal. I think I'm good. <laughs> I mean, we have, we have to save something for the, uh, the international break. So, right. And, you know, we've, <laughs> we haven't even touched on the fact that Jaka is out with COVID right now. Oh, goodness, uh, uh, Kalasinac got just battered by, um, oh gosh, uh, who was it? French player Kunda? I can't think of his last name. Awful with names, apparently. <laughs> These are things we should know. We don't. So I'm just going <laughs> to... 
<laughs> going to say he got totally clobbered and hopefully he's okay. Not that we need him necessarily, but he's clearly a part of our plan <laughs> since he's gotten some play. So we should probably be concerned about him. But yeah, let's hope uh, our other players can fare better in their <laughs> international duties. Let's just hope uh, most of them get through fine and uh, we go mm-hmm. healthy and happy into our next game. Yeah, I mean, if we keep this up, we won't have to worry about COVID anymore because the, the whole team will have antibodies because they've all had it. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. Yeah. What is it, like six so far this season? It's pretty bad. Um, but yeah. <laughs> so let's let's hope we don't have too much to talk about on that front next episode. Uh, anyway, let's let's uh, wrap this thing up. Thank you all for listening and sticking with us for this uh, this long one. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to our podcast yet and you just have stopped in for the first time, hey, I'm glad you're here. Hit that subscribe button and, and stick around for more. And uh, if you are a subscriber and you haven't told somebody about it or, or made a review on, on your platform of choice, we'd love it if you could do that and help spread the word. Uh, if you're into sending us questions like the many uh, people that did this episode, there's many ways you can do that. At W of N London is our Twitter handle. If you want to send us uh, questions there or follow along on uh, game days or news newsworthy things that we tweet out. Uh, <laughs> the other way you can do that is, uh, the other way you can get in touch with us is westofnorthlondon at gmail.com. That's another way you can send us questions. Uh, of course, we also have a way to send voicemail, and that's anchor.fm slash westofnorthlondon slash message. You can go there and leave a voicemail. We'd love to get that onto our next episode. And if you like our theme song, you can check out Bobcat, the band. They are B-O- at bobc.at. That is their website. You can check out their album, No Course to Follow, there, and much, much more. And I think we've hit the end here. So as always, see you at the next gun show.